All right, well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, we're going to keep things a little shorter uh, this afternoon, so we uh, want to be careful that we're kind of uh, doing things short and sweet so we're not taking up a big chunk of your, your afternoon. Uh, we know that even during this season, uh, folks are still busy, but uh, we do just want to chime in, uh, look to God's Word, pray that it'll be... Um, just kind of a, a time of encouragement. Uh, so we're going to be in Psalm uh, 16. We're going to be looking primarily at verse 8. Um, but over the last few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines, specifically the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Um, and we've been recognizing that when it comes to uh, spiritual disciplines within the Christian life, uh, they're never intended to merely be just some sort of religious exercise. Uh, you know, solitude is, is not ultimately for solitude's sake. Silence is not for silence's sake. That these spiritual disciplines that God encourages us to engage in are intended for relationship. So the, the theological term that we would utilize for that is is, is that we're in covenant with God, and so these spiritual disciplines are covenantal. Uh, you know, when you get married, you covenant with your spouse, right? That, that you would be disciplined to organize your life together, that you would live your life in, in some sense rhythms together. And so when we think about our relationship with God, we've covenanted with God. God is covenanted with us. And so these spiritual disciplines are really just ways in which we intend to kind of do life with Him, ensure that distractions aren't getting in the way, but that we're actually pressing into Him and seeing kind of uh, one of the terms that we have used is like life liturgies, rhythms of life, just kind of patterns of life that would keep us leaning in uh, to the Lord. So over the last couple of weeks, that's kind of the stuff that we've uh, hit on. Psalm 16, again, specifically verse 8, gives kind of a broader perspective for uh, the spiritual disciplines. He's not addressing one particular spiritual discipline. He's just talking about the kind of more general sense of the Christian going about this life, uh, as he says, by setting the Lord constantly before us. It's another way of saying that we give ourselves to these spiritual disciplines so that we're constantly giving focus and attention to the Lord. So that's, that's what we're going to kind of cover uh, this afternoon, just for a few minutes. So if, if you have your Bible on your phone, or if you have your Bible sitting there, or if you just want to listen in, that's cool too. But we're going we're gonna to go to Psalm 16, particularly look at verse 8. Uh, so let's just go there, and we're just going to slowly kind of walk, walk through it. Uh, so in Psalm 16, we, we have a context, you know, one of the biblical principles for interpretation, understanding what the Bible's actually saying, is to look at the context. What's actually going on in this particular psalm? Well, the psalmist begins by just, like, talking about God as, as a refuge. Um, and when we think of refuge, that... It assumes that our life is under attack in some way, um, whether it's you know, a spiritual enemy coming at us, whether it's a physical enemy coming at us, whether it's the things that we've been talking about, especially in a corona season where distractions kind of come into play, like this is a time where we're, we're taking in more entertainment or we're taking in more food or whatever, whatever it is, that even those things can be a distraction to uh, our relationship with the Lord. And, and so it's important that we, like the psalmist, would say, okay, God, I need you to be something of a refuge for me uh, in this time, in this place of life. So for the psalmist, this is, this is David who's writing this. Obviously, David had all kinds of enemies uh, coming, coming after him. And and so God is for him a refuge. And so he's, he's focusing in on that particular point. Uh, and, and again, when we think of refuge, you can think of a, a fortress with big walls. 
you know, that, that's something that other psalms would kind of uh, illustrate. You know, uh, Psalm 32 says the Lord surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. It's the idea that, like, he's a wall of defense by way of his declaration. He is shouting deliverance to us. He's, he's shielding us in some sense. Uh, I believe it's Psalm 125 that says, as the Lord or as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. He's a refuge for us. He stands between us and the enemy. And yet, there's, there's also other ways that we come to understand God as our refuge, is that like Psalm 91, he's like a, he's like a mother hen who, who takes his, his uh, wing and, and shields his people. And so, in some sense, we find refuge under the shadow of his wing. So it's, perhaps it's, it's helpful to say it this way. He's a refuge from ground attack and air attack, right? So he, he is there for us, whether it's by these strong walls that keep the enemy from um, bringing attack upon our souls, or it's, it's like the air war. He, he, he's the mother hen who's shielding us with his wing. Or uh, even as we, if you were with us on Sunday, uh, God is a refuge in the sense that he's a rock for our feet. Although the storms of life come, although affliction comes, trouble and trial comes, it, it's not so much a, a defense over us, but it's also a defense underneath of us. He, he gives us stability. He gives us footing. He is the rock. Uh, that we ultimately need. So, this the psalmist here, David, is is considering just this God who is uh, our our refuge, and and so in some sense, again, the Bible recognizes the fact that we are constantly, in some sense, under attack. Uh, that in this world, it this world is backwards. This world is broken. This world is kind of pressing into us, tempting us, drawing us away. There's plenty of distractions and whatnot, but the, the psalmist is saying, no, the Lord, the Lord is my refuge. He's the one who's ultimately keeping, keeping me. Now, what the psalmist does, again in context, is verse 4, he, he compares his own uh, relationship to the Lord with those who serve other gods. Uh, and when you think of serving other gods, don't get all mystical uh, you know, in our day and age, it's not so much that we set idols out and worship idols. We, we worship the idols of possessions. We worship the idols of entertainment. We worship the idols of sports and, and, and whatever. So he, he's referring to, you know, these gods, but in a real way, uh, our culture is inundated with false gods. Uh, and and what, is he, what is he saying? But he's saying that those who run after these false gods, their sorrows will be multiplied. Um, in other words, those, those idols, those gods, won't be for them what they ultimately need. They won't be a refuge to them. They cannot keep their souls. They cannot satisfy their souls. They can't give the emotional health that we so desperately need in such a crazy uh, world. These gods will only multiply the sorrows of those who trust in them. So again, the context is here's this god of refuge. Here are these these false gods who uh, they just aren't going to hold up underneath the storms of life. Uh, but then in verse 8, what the psalmist then kind of transitions to is like how, how he goes about leaning in to the Lord. How he goes about, if you want to say, like even practicing these spiritual disciplines. And so he says in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Uh, so the idea is, and this is just kind of from my own experience, it's like, how, how, how does this practically, what does this practically look like in everyday life? Um, you know, when I, when I go to bed, I want to set the Lord always before me. I want to, I want to have my, my mind just kind of tuned into him and my heart's affection aligned with him. Like when I go to bed, I want him to be like the last thing on my heart and my mind. I want my affections to, if I can say it this way, be aroused to him. That's where I want to enter sleep. I want to enter sleep with my heart just saying, 
yep, God, you are good. I want to be at a place of, of rest in him. I'm trusting that you're sovereign. Sometimes I go through some of the details of the day and just thank the Lord for his kindness, for his goodness, how, how he met me personally, how he's caring for uh, my family, for my wife. Uh, I just want my heart's affection to rest there at the end. I want to set the Lord before me as I, as I go to sleep at night. What oftentimes happens, and I, it's, it's just a grace that he grants, is as soon as I wake up in the morning, he oftentimes will put a song in my mind. Uh, now, this probably isn't for everyone. Maybe this is just unique between me and, me and him, but it's another way in which as I attempt to set him before me, as I, as I put my affections upon him as I go to sleep at night, it's oftentimes that in the morning, he, he almost in some sense like, awakens my heart to worship. He, he awakens my heart in a, in a posture that is already set upon him. He'll give songs, and so I'll use those songs even as I'm laying in bed, you know, feeling tired, just trying to throw my feet off the side of, of the bed to get ready for the day. Like, I, I'm, I'm already beginning to just kind of sing through the song that he gives me. So truth is already at work, already. It's to be like, I'm, I'm setting the Lord before me. Before I get so busy about all the things that have to happen throughout the day, I, I just want the Lord to be set before me. So he's oftentimes so gracious just to throw a song or a particular truth upon my mind as, as I wake up. So setting the Lord before for you is like kind of the bookends of, of your day. As you go to sleep, as, as you wake up, um, that God would be set before you. But then throughout the day, it, it's, the, it's the act. Maybe it's giving yourself to these spiritual disciplines in different ways, or maybe it's just carrying a God awareness. You know, the, the theological term is Corum Deo, that you were made, you were created to live before the face of God. Um, oftentimes we like to, uh, you know, even during this, this season of Zoom, I, I've noticed like as we're doing these Zoom meetings, how many times you're looking at yourself compared to how many times you're looking at others. You know, the, the temptation of our heart oftentimes is to live before our own face, to be so concerned about kind of ourselves in our own life. And in a real way, that is a distraction from what the Bible says, is that we are actually made to live quorum Deo, that we are to live before the face of God. In order to know who we are, in order to navigate this life, it's to say, I want my gaze always to be set on him because he ultimately determines who I am and why I'm here in this life. And so you have the bookends of the day as you go to sleep, as you wake up in the morning. But throughout the day, then it's to say, all right, Lord, I want to set you always before me. That's what the psalmist is doing. He, he said, I'm going to make, I'm going to make, I'm going to put spiritual disciplines into my life. I'm, I'm going to create life rhythms where my attention is just constantly brought uh, to, to the Lord. And so for us, that, that's as well the challenge is to say, all right, Lord, I want to live this relationship out with you 24-7, not, not just kind of on a Sunday morning, not just in a five-minute devotional, not just like a quick verse, uh, you know, that sw swipes across my phone. I want to I constantly have a posture towards you and awareness of you. And folks, like any relationship, that, that's a learned process. Uh, we, don't, we don't step into the depths of constant and consistent uh, intimacy with, with the Lord uh, kind of on day one. It's, it's to learn that process, and it's to learn uh, just to have this God awareness, to incorporate these spiritual disciplines, to kind of guard this relational togetherness uh, with, with the Lord. But it's just to say there's room to grow, right? There's deeper places to go in terms of our relationship with the Lord. That's why scripture could even say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to pray without ceasing. That, that sounds like a burden. Like, you got to be kidding me. That I got to be praying like 24-7. That's just weird. Well, when, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord and this idea of setting the Lord consistently before us, it is the idea that we're growing in this relationship with the Lord in a sense that we have just a, a spiritual awareness of him, that 
that we're inviting his input into our lives. Similar to last week as we gave the illustration of Sarah Edwards. You know, Jonathan Edwards is America's greatest theologian, so he's written a bunch of amazing stuff, uh, you know, about God and, and whatnot, you know. Uh, but he, he wrote these kind of cool vignettes about his wife, where he would see his wife just walking out in, in, in kind of their, their backyard or whatever, and, and he would just take awe in the fact that she would always just have this kind of like conversation going with this invisible person, you know. Uh, but it was the fact that she was just consistently in prayer, just kind of giving her a heart cares to the Lord and just listening in to what the Lord is saying. And, and it became this real re relationship that she was experiencing uh, throughout the day. So when it comes down to it, this, this is part of what it looks like to find God as our refuge, that we would intentionally just set him before us, kind of from the beginning of our day to the end of our day, that we'd be leaning uh, into him. It's interesting, if you look at the text, even the verse before it, it says something so, like, strange. That as, that as David the psalmist is, is setting the Lord before him, it's even at night, even while he's sleeping, that something spiritual is taking place. Like this relationship doesn't like cut off when we sleep, but this relationship actually carries itself through the night. He talks about his heart instructing him throughout the night. Literally, the idea is as he sleeps, it's like the overflow of relationship with the Lord kind of continues to work itself out. I don't know if you've ever had, you know, even dreams where the Lord is addressing you or, or where you're walking in truth and you're making the right decisions in those, in those dreams or whatnot. And it's instructing your heart. It's actually edifying you even as, even as you dream. Or sometimes the Lord is saying things that maybe he's sharing something of just, his pleasure in you or his delight in you. Like, the, even, even those things are not just, you know, the pizza that you ate that, that evening. That, that even through the night time, our hearts will instruct us that this relationship with the Lord will even be known uh, as, as we sleep. So once again, this is a part of like taking joy in the fact that our God is our refuge and leaning into that, setting him constantly uh, before us. Any thoughts? Yeah, there's this this concept of um, what's been referred to as Holy Spirit etiquette, and um, it doesn't specifically refer to this, but um, it reminded me of um, like the way you would show another person etiquette going out, going throughout your day, um, and part of living in the face of God is. In a, in a most basic sense, showing etiquette to the Lord yeah. as he's present with you. But what that looks like practically is um, thanking and blessing the Lord throughout the day. And you see it even in uh, verse 7 here in chapter, in Psalm 16. He's saying, I bless the Lord. And in the, the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, the, the phrase after um, pray without ceasing is giving thanks That's in all circumstances. And so part of living in the face of God and keeping him always before you is not just giving thanks to him at, you know, meal times or devotional times, but as you're going throughout the day with him, walking side by side with him, you're noticing the things that he's doing. And then in the moment, you're blessing him and thanking him for those things. And that's a, that in and of itself is a discipline. Yeah. Um, but not only, you know, not only with the Lord, but also with other people. And that's an area where I would love to grow personally. Mm. Um, but that's just part of it is you're noticing what he's doing yeah. and you're blessing him in that moment instead of just, you know, waiting until dinner time when you sit down with the family and then you're thanking God for the food. But no, it's throughout the day, every, you know, he's, we've talked about him always working. Yeah. Even when we can't see it, he's working. He's working. Yeah. Um, so it's noticing those things, just like you would want your spouse or your best friend to notice what you've done and then to thank you for it. Um, man, we need to be noticing what the Lord's doing and thanking him and blessing him for it and encouraging, you know, in a, in a, 
in a weird way, like you're encouraging him to keep doing it. Yeah. He doesn't need our encouragement, but in a sense, that's what it is. Yeah. And uh, I just thought about somebody who's good at this is Zach. If you if you watch this or listen to this, Zach, Zach Adams, um, I've noticed over the last several weeks, like he'll thank me for something and it's like, oh, I wasn't even expecting thanks for that. And I'm really glad that he noticed it. Yeah. And it almost stirs up within you like a feeling of wanting to thank him for thanking you. And so props to Zach for that. Uh, we love you. But yeah, it's just this this ongoing posture of noticing the Lord's work and blessing him for it. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. And, and you know, as you're saying that, like, I, I'm reminded of days I wake up and the weather's bad and all this kind of, like, um, e- even when it comes to things that we just think are, well, that, that's just routine, that's just the, the natural law just kind of working itself out. You know, we got rain today rather than sunshine. Um, but, and and it's, it's not ultimately true, right, that, that God is even in those things that we typically are, are just like, well, that's just happenstance, that just, that's just a, a natural occurrence, that, no, it's actually, God's in those moments, so even last night, it was like the Zoom share thing, our computer just froze, and it was like, you stupid computer, like, this was supposed to be a good moment of spiritual edification, and now we got this goofy screen because the stupid computer won't work, and, and yet I had to slow down enough to to, re- to remember, like, I, I can encounter God in anything and miss him in everything. So even though this thing isn't happening the way I want it to, I, I look to the, to, to the folks on the Zoom meeting as this song is being played. The screen is all jacked up, but the song's being played. And I'm just watching then the people kind of engage, not necessarily with what they see, but with their hearing. And still God is working, like, and, it, and it hit me, like, God, yeah, you are the one who, even though technology gets jacked up, like, you still find ways to bless your, your people. It may not be perfect, as I would think it should be, but God's still, still working, and he's still blessing his people. And so, even in that moment, saying, all right, Lord, yeah, this, this, this is how you work. Like, you're okay with this. You're okay with things not being okay, and you still will demonstrate your faithfulness and your goodness. So it's, it's seeing him, choosing to see him uh, in everything and not missing him in, in anything. And so that's part of just setting the Lord consistently before us. Cool. So now getting to what James was saying, the psalmist then goes on in verse 8, and it's that the second half of the verse he, he, he says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, this, this is where, like, the, the description of what the psalmist is working through just is brought into some amazing color in these moments. Because he's, he's talking about not just having some sort of recognition of God, but doing exactly what James was saying. When it comes to this term of being at one's right hand, it was a position of honor. In, a, in other words, it, it's to say, I'm not just thinking about God, having a God consciousness, but I'm choosing to give him the honor in, in every facet of of life. And so I'm giving him and thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm blessing him throughout the day. I'm, I'm putting him in this position in some sense in which like is, is higher than me. I'm, I'm giving him the significance uh, in the moment, so to speak. And so that's what the psalmist is going after. He said, I, I have set him at my right hand. It's not just God consciousness. It's not just awareness, but it is, it is a heart of worship that says, like, he's the one that is to be honored in whatever kind of situation I may find myself uh, in. And, and it's important that we would see uh, this idea of, of honor. There, there's an interesting illustration uh, in Jesus' own life and ministry. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and he, and he goes there uh, to minister to people. He, he's ready to bless his, his own kind of like hometown crew. 
and as he goes back home, uh, as the story unfolds, uh, it, it's demonstrated that they don't, they're not interested in Jesus. Like, he's just the carpenter's kid. We, we know him from, you know, years gone by, him growing up. He, he's no one special. And Jesus, Jesus says in that moment, he says, a prophet is not without honor, but in his hometown. Right? He's saying, when it comes to this issue of honor, like when you go back to your hometown, they're just going to see you as the punk kid that grew up in Nazareth. You know, they're not going to see you as anything more than that. And, and, and Jesus is saying then, in those moments, because he was not honored, and this is how the text says it, he could not do a mighty work there. Uh, evidently, he, he only healed a few people, which is pretty amazing in itself. But nonetheless, he was planning on blessing them uh, even more. And yet, there was this issue of honor that got in the way of them receiving, in some sense, the blessing. Um, so, we have to be careful uh, when we think of how to apply that to ourselves. Um, the, the principle is, is, man, there is blessing in honoring God. Like, God just doesn't want to be someone who's put on this pedestal, who, who is just constantly honored without giving any kind of mutual benefit back to us. Like, he, he's called our Father, for crying out loud. Jesus is not ashamed to call his brother and sister. Like, he, he wants to go deep in relationship with one of us, not as one who just is constantly receiving the honor, but as but really as a two-way street where as he's honored, it releases something of his own blessing. He comes to bless his people. And so this idea of, of the psalmist, he's, he's putting the Lord at his right hand. He's honoring the Lord. And if you notice, a little bit further down in the text, verse 11, that there, there's a, the same word right hand is, is used, but it's used in a different way. It's actually speaking of God. God, you make known to me the paths of life. God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So what is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is, is saying that as he has set the Lord at his right hand, guess what the Lord has done for him? He's given him a position at his right hand. You see, in other words, there's this mutual honor that's taking place. God doesn't just call us to worship him and honor him without some sort of mutual return in that relationship. Again, it's a relationship. And so it's actually the psalmist saying, God, I, I know something of how you are honoring me. You, you are demonstrating uh, your blessing and your delight uh, in me. And so when it comes to this idea of setting the Lord before us, and really finding him to be a refuge for our souls, that there is a kind of a two-way street of honor that's being experienced in this, this relationship, that as we honor the Lord, he, he honors uh, his own people. And this is just the goodness of God. Like, he, he's not someone who just stands above us on some sort of pedestal and says, no, just, just worship me. There's, there, worship is always a two-way street, Whereas we bring our honor to him, he also then honors us. And we see that throughout scripture, where again, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to bring blessing upon us. He's not ashamed to delight in us. Uh, he's actually a God who sings over us, as scripture says, he, he honors us. Now there's a broader theological like picture at work in all of this. I, I get that. But nonetheless, the simple idea is that there is an exchange of honor, that as we honor the Lord, he honors us. One day, man, we're going we're gonna to be ushered home, right? And in that moment, we're going to come face to face with our Savior, with the refuge of our soul. And, and he's going to declare over us, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to honor us. He's going to crown us. He's going to reward us. Uh, so, so don't think that the Christian life is just this, oh, you know, kind of Eeyore, kind of like just put your head down and keep pushing, pushing ahead. You know, things will eventually get better. No, like it's, it's here and now that we get to live in the good of God's delight 
in his, in his own. So, so this is a part of Jesus, of our God being something of a refuge for us all. As we honor him, he honors us, and, and the psalmist is saying, and we will not be shaken. Um, the idea isn't that we won't face trouble or trial. It won't, he, he's not saying that you won't feel at times like your life just goes upside down. Jesus even says, you know, um, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, right? He is the one who, who ultimately uh, holds us. He is our refuge. So often we think that our circumstances are our refuge, our bank account is our refuge, yeah, you know, our, our health is our refuge. Uh, but when it comes down to it, it's Jesus says, no, nope, I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm your refuge. I am the capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, uh, the self-sufficient, self-existent one who gives you life, breath, and all uh, things. And so when it comes down to it, he alone is our refuge, but man, as we set him before us, as we honor him, we will experience something of his delight and honor in, in us. So, any thoughts there? All right. Um. Uh, man, a few other thoughts before we jump into in, into prayer. Um, this idea of you know we will not be shaken. Obviously, doesn't mean as as we just said like that trial won't won't come. Um, but it's through the trial that God gives us. Even as the psalmist then goes on to to talk about. He says, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secure. In other words, that the idea is I am not shaken in the sense that, that, that physically, like because of who my God is, I am, I am safe whether it's in life or in death. My, my flesh will dwell secure. Like he will have me in life. He will have me in death. This is the promise of Yahweh for his own, right? He says, I, I got you. Um, and, and so there's not only a physical uh, security that we are to feel, that he has us in life and death, but also then this emotional security. It, it's like, this is where emotional health comes from. Again, we typically think emotional health is like this, this category of secular therapy and whatnot. Well, here it's pretty clear that part of emotional health is setting the Lord before us, honoring him as he will honor us, and the result, therefore, he says, the result is my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. This, this is not naivety. This is not just, well, you know, I'm just not going to look at the difficulties that stand before me. This is not that kind of stuff. It's that through the difficulties, He's crying out that God would be his refuge. Preserve me, O God, he says in verse 1. He's feeling the affliction. He's feeling the difficulty. Life is hard. But he's saying, because I set the Lord before him, because I honor him as he honors me, there my heart is glad. You know, it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter's addressing some, some people in like really bad circumstances. But he says, like, the Lord has your past, he has your present, he has your future, and he's through the difficulties and tribulations, he's actually refining your faith in him, uh, even to the point that there is this emotional health, there is this uh, inexpressible joy filled with glory uh, that the Lord says that he grants us. Emotional health through trial, tribulation, is found in the Lord. Like, it's not just about the physical security, but it's also about the emotional uh, wellness that God gives uh, to his people. Uh, so, th this is then the importance of spiritual disciplines. Uh, like, this is why we don't just do these things because, oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I should probably have a little silence and solitude in the midst of a bunch of crazy craziness going on. It, that, is, that is not the point. At the core of this is relationship. Our God is jealous for the spirit that he's put within us. He wants relationship with, one, with us. He wants 
uh, attention, so to speak. He wants to interact with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to change us. He wants to be the shelter, the refuge that only he can, he can be for us. He wants to bring emotional health to us. This is who our God is, and this is the benefit, then, of spiritual disciplines. Um, how far along are we? What's the time? Are we already 40 minutes in? Yeah. All right, so I got to make this real brief. Maybe. <laughs> I even told him this morning, like, this is going to be really short. I don't have much. Um, when it comes to Psalm 16, the apostle uh, Peter in Acts chapter 2 will actually take the very verses that we read, and if you go down through verses 9, 10, and 11, and he'll actually apply those to Jesus. You know, Pentecost happens and you know, it's the apostles are speaking in tongues and everyone's weirded out by this and what is happening. And so Peter stands up and he preaches a, a sermon and, and he declares who Jesus is and he declares that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he references these very verses to apply to Jesus. You know, if you look at verse 10, it says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Like Jesus, his body, so to speak, did not see corruption. It, it went three days and then is, is raised. It didn't, it didn't go the full range of deterioration, so to speak. And in, in some sense, th this is foreshadowing the coming of Christ, that Jesus will come and he will undo the greatest storm of life, the greatest trial that we could ever face, namely death itself. And then Peter is saying, this is the one that you're to trust in. This is the one that you are to lean into. This, this is the one who's overcome death and overcome death for you. So what the apostle Peter is, is, is doing is saying, this is, this is all about Jesus. But then the question is, is it about Jesus or is it about us? Like, can we apply it to us or is it supposed to be applied to Jesus? And the fact of the matter is yes and yes. This foreshadows Jesus, but that's the whole point. All those who trust in Jesus are bound into his life. And so just as Jesus, Jesus would set the Father always before him. You know, you go to John chapter 4, woman at the well. He's ministering to her as the apostles are going off to get food. They come back with food and they're like, hey, like Jesus, you need to eat something. And he's like, no, you don't get it. My, my meat, my nourishment is to do the will of the Father. He was constantly setting the Father before him. In, in everything that happened, in John chapter 8, he says the same thing. I do nothing without the leading of the Father. Like, so he was so, he was constantly setting the Father and the Father's purposes uh, before him that he just, he had, he didn't have eyes for anything else. You know, all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, like, I don't want to face this, this cup, this cross, this torture, this torment, but your will be done. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to set you before me. And, and that's the idea of he, he honored. He put the Father at his right hand, so to speak. He honored the Father. He gave significance to the Father. He saw his life not as his own, but as that which would be bound to the purposes of the Father. Jesus sets the example for us. Where we fail, he succeeds. But when we come to faith in Jesus, we're bound into this way of life. We're bound into now this relationship with the Father. We're bound into honoring the Lord and, and, and putting the Lord always before us as Jesus did. And, and because, you know, this is the terminology of the New Testament and the benefits that we have in Jesus, that, that what the Father does is he seats us with Christ in the heavenly places. And say, so that's a weird idea, yeah. He seats us with Christ in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians chapter 1. And the idea there is that as we trust in Jesus and we're bound into his, his life, we, we are honored as Jesus is honored. We are given a, a, a place in heaven, a seat in heaven, a place of honor so to speak, at the Father's right hand, that the Father now honors us. He sees us 
perfectly accepted, right, in the work that Christ has done for us. Not in our own abilities, not in our own religious upkeeping, but because we've trusted in Christ comes this full, like, life and inheritance in Jesus, where we are honored, where the Father does look at us and say, man, like, my greatest delight is now in you. Like, he honors us in that sense. So, in, in, in some sense, Psalm 19 is like just practically applicable to us, but in another sense, it points us to Jesus, and, and, and still in another sense, it points us to kind of recognize that our lives have been bound to Jesus, and therefore, as Jesus set the Lord always before us, so we follow in that same kind of way. We, we, we engage in this relationship. We set the Lord before us. Because of Jesus, we have this relationship. Because of Jesus, we now can enjoy this honor. Because of Jesus, who did not see corruption, we can know that our God is enough for us in life and in death. And that should give us a world of emotional health that we can be glad, our whole being can rejoice. Not because life is just perfect and put together, but because even through the imperfections, there is a true refuge for our soul. Namely, Jesus, who came for us, lived for us, died for us, was raised for us. He's the one who then truly makes known to us the path of life. He is truly the one in whose presence there is fullness of joy. He truly is the one who at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He honors us. What, like, do we really deserve that? We don't deserve, we haven't done anything to earn that. But it's all out of his goodness. It's all out of his love. It's to the praise of his glorious grace that he would say, just freely receive, freely receive, freely come to me, find in me the forgiveness of sin, Find in me the love you've always been yearning for. Find in me the security, the refuge of your soul. And, and yes, come and find in me uh, this fullness of joy, these pleasures forevermore. Thoughts? Yes, no, maybe? All right, folks, if there's any particulars that we can uh, be praying for, we're just going to kind of close, close our time this afternoon. Um, we're going to be praying specifically for kind of the, the, the broader church. Uh, you know, even last night we had a Zoom meeting where we, we chose to do communion together. I know some churches are cho- choosing not to do that, uh, but we just felt like, man, this is, this is the time, if anything, to do it, where we're reminded just of our togetherness in, in Christ. Um, and, and so... It, it kind of has placed the burden on me to pray for the, more, the broader church, that in this time of kind of disconnect, uh, that we wouldn't ultimately disconnect, that we would press in more and more uh, to the benefits of fellowship. Well, you know, although it can't be physical, uh, that it would at least be felt, perhaps digitally, uh, that it would be kind of phone calls and text messages that that really the blessings of community together um, would, be, would be strongly felt uh, during this season, and that in some sense we'd grow a deeper hunger uh, for, for getting back into kind of physical proximity with one another and enjoying the fellowship and the corporate anointing that also comes as God's people gather together and, and worship. Those are things in some ways that get stifled uh, by this, this kind of season. Uh, so just want to pray into the uh, kind of healthing and, and, and care of the, of the church. Um, but also then that during this time where things are kind of out of place, that, that God's people, that there would be kind of a, you know, I always want to be careful with this word, but there would be something of a revival uh, through this season um, that isn't just a flash in the pan on the other end of, of, of COVID, but, but something that kind of gains traction. Um, and so I'm, I'm praying that through this season that God's people just gain a deeper hunger and thirst for the things of the Lord. Um, that this time where there's perhaps for some a little more downtime, that that 
that would become something of the training ground of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, that these spiritual disciplines wouldn't just be felt as disciplines, but they would be a true encounter with the Lord. So those are the two things that we're going to kind of pray for, just the, the unity of the church um, and also just kind of a deeper hunger for the Lord. Any particular one you want to take? All right, I want to cover that too. just want to start out by praying the words that Jesus prayed in John 17, starting in verse 20. Heavenly Father, I don't ask these words, these requests for those who already know you who've already believed in you, Jesus, but also for, for those, anyone who will believe in Jesus through our testimony, through our words. Lord, that we might be one, just as you, Heavenly Father, and Jesus, Son of God, are one together. Lord, that we might be one in you, so that the world may, may believe that, Father, you have sent Jesus to the world because you've loved us. And the glory that you have given to Jesus, Heavenly Father, he has given to us. Lord, thank you so much that, that you have given that glory to us. And Lord, again, that we might be one, even as you, Father, Spirit and Son are one, that we might be one together in you so that the world might know that Jesus was sent by the Father to the world out of love that came from before the foundation of the world. Heavenly Father, as we consider how to live with you always before us, a large part of that is living in unity in the body of Christ that you have purchased, Jesus. A large part of, of living before the face of God is living as one body, in one mind, and in one spirit as the church. So, Lord, my prayer right now, again, not only for those who already know you, but for those who will come to know you through our testimonies and through, through our preaching and proclaiming the gospel, Lord, that we would be strengthened in that unity, that we would understand that we don't have the option to not participate in the body. Jesus, you've, you've given your life to bring us into that unity, to bring us into that body. And so, Lord, help us to understand that we can't just forsake that. You've paid for that. You've given your life for that. Help us to cherish that unity. Lord, I pray for our little church body here that 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 reality would be so impactful for us that it would stir up within us love for one another love for you god and a desire and a hunger to be together as the body of christ lord stir up a hunger for us to build up the church for us to encourage one another for us to love one another for us to serve one another because when we do those things, when we participate in that body, we're demonstrating to the world, we're declaring that the Father has sent the Son to the world to save us out of love. When we participate in that unity, we're living truly in the face of God. So Lord, would you strengthen us? And even right now, Lord, would you calm the violence and the, the aggressiveness and the, the argument that's happening outside of us right now, Lord, would you bring peace to this neighborhood? Would you drive away the anger and the frustration? Lord, would you bring peace? Would you reign in peace in this neighborhood? Lord, beyond our little church here, we, we ask the same thing for our brothers and sisters around the world. Would you give us eyes to see that your body extends beyond what we see before us on a day-to-day -day basis, that your body extends around the globe, that your spirit ties us all together in Christ. Lord, give us eyes to see 
the diversity of just giftings that you've poured out on your church, the diversity of experiences that we've all walked through, the diversity of um, just the ways that you work in our local churches. Man, there's so much beauty and diversity there, Lord. Help us to see beyond what we know um, to the world around us, to our brothers and sisters, and, and to love them, to care for them, to pray for them, even from a distance. Now, Father, I pray for specifically the Munions. Would you strengthen them during this time and provide the finances needed for them? Lord, would you provide surprising blessings and checks in the mail? Would you provide um, unexpected relief from, from any debt or any payments that are um, standing before them that they're questioning? How are we going to pay for this? Lord, would you break through and bless them financially and provide for them in unexpected ways. And again, Lord, we just, we ask that you would enable us to see the reality and the beauty and the importance and the necessity of being unified in your body and pressing into the body of Christ, pressing into you first, Lord keeping you always before us and always at our right hand, but also pressing into those who you have grafted in with us together in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Lord, we, um, as we're hearing the shouting and the screaming outside, we, um, we thank you that God, that you are one who um, steps into all our screaming and all our brokenness. Thank you that you stepped into a violent and angry and anxious world. Thank you that you stepped into a, a context where we are all so dead set on having our way and having our are the idols that we, we we run after at great expense to ourselves, at great expense to to, pee, to the peace of others? Um, God, we we all um, carry carry that brokenness. But Jesus, thank you that you stepped into it. Thank you that you do, as we saw on Sunday, become that that rock. That's enough for us. Thank you that you become for us, as Psalm 16 says, that, that refuge for our souls where our, our deepest soul needs can be met and where gladness and rejoicing can be experienced. Jesus, this is who you are. This is what you afford us. So uh, we just kind of cry out to you right now that um, this neighborhood, that this even situation right now, um, God, intervene, intervene miraculously, intervene uh, even after things died down. Would it, would it be that through these crazy moments that there would be something of just such a, uh, a distaste for the wantings and the desiring of the things of this life, that there's got to be something more that can satisfy the deepest needs of our hearts. God, make yourself known, even if it's through dreams tonight as people lay on their, on their bed and like think through just how crazy the day was as they kind of steep in their own anger and their own bitterness. God, interrupt, interrupt it all with truth. Would you kind of step in uh, to their lives. God, you've done that so wonderfully and miraculously for, for us. You've, you've, you've overhauled our hearts. You've, you've done the, a work at the deepest part of who we are. And so, God, we, we pray uh, even now that you would do that work, whether it's across the street or whether it's kind of in the homes of those surrounding um, where, where each one of us live. God, do, do a work, especially even through this season. Uh, would you do a work? And specifically, God, we pray again. We intercede for the children who are caught up in all this chaos. God, protect them. Protect them. We, we just, uh, I don't even know the, theolo the theology of saying this, but we just, we, we claim this next generation for you. We claim it for you. 
Um, we want to see this next generation saved from the chaos and the trauma, that there would be a wave of revival that sweeps through homes where mom and dad may have kind of stuck their nose up to the idea of religion and Jesus. May it be that you grab hold of the lives of this upcoming generation, save them out of the chaos, save them out of the turmoil. Would it be that the trauma of these experiences would not slow down their spiritual progress, but may it deepen their hunger and thirst for the only one, as, as Peter says, you're the only one who has the words of life. So would it, would it be that, God, we, we would see this next generation raised up, them hungering deeply for the one who alone has the words of life. So do a work in this next generation, we pray. Deepen, deepen their, their hunger. May it, may it go beyond us. May they just stand on our, our shoulders in some small way, but may they go well beyond us and, and in seeing the kingdom realized in advance for the glory of Christ. And God, we also then just pray in, this, in the interim, in this time of um, kind of difficulty with corona and COVID, uh, God, we pray that you would deepen our hunger for, for you, that this time would not be wasted just with entertainment, that it wouldn't be wasted with just thinking about the past and what plans we have for the future, but may, may it be stewarded well um, in terms of thinking about you who alone is the one who is our refuge, you who alone who is our physical security, you alone who is the one who brings us emotional health and wellness. Uh, so God, we we, we, we ask for this deepening of, of hunger, of thirst for the things of you, that our hearts would be more kind of uh, aligned to you, that our hearts would be more greatly given to you, that, that our dreams and passions would be surrendered to you and uh, redefined even by you, uh, so that ultimately, once again, God, that, that it might be very good for your people, but ultimately that it would glorify you. God, we just thank, we want to honor you. God, we want to honor you. You honor us. Who are we to be seated in heavenly places with Jesus? Who are, who are we to be granted the Holy Spirit, to be indwelt by him? Who are we? Who are we? It is sheer grace. It is completely undeserved. So we want to thank you but we also just want to honor you. We want to bless you. You, you are worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of our, of our praise as the one who came as the humble king to purchase us up through at great expense to yourself. So we just bless you. We honor you. We thank you. We declare you are good. You are a good God. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, pray for our neighborhood. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, hearing the, we're hearing a family fallout, even, even as we're praying. So um, much, much need uh, for the things of Christ around here. So uh, thanks for joining us. Again, if you have any questions, thoughts, want to engage on these particular matters, please do. If there's like particular topics that you say, hey, this might be helpful uh, to explore in the coming weeks during this care and prayer, let us know. Uh, we'd love to kind of jump into the questions that you may be uh, having. Um, and also, if there are any particular needs, that COVID relief fund is there. Uh, make sure you fill out a form so uh, we, can, we can get back to you uh, as soon as possible. So love you guys. Thanks for joining us. See you Sunday.